This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, November 11th. Shout out and thank you to all our veterans out there. Today, we're going to be talking about dividend investing in tech, name a, t- name a company or two that we like, and talk about whether to drip or not drip. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined in the studio by Motley Fool Premium Analyst, Jason Moser. Jason, hey, how's it hey, going? Hey, all right. How are you? Doing all right. Excellent. So the background for the show, I think earlier in the week, um, we'd seen that there was the potential for some volatility in the market. <laughs> Just a smidge. <laughs> and naturally, when that's something that people are worried about, I, I think that people tend to turn to dividend stocks. Or, sure. or they tend to look at some of these more stable and um, kind of stalwart companies. And I, I felt like you know we haven't done one of these shows in a while. It made sense to kind of dust off the book and, and see what's going on. Absolutely. Um, so, first, I'm going to talk about a company that I've liked for a very long time. I, I've been a Verizon bull for Quite a while now, and um, I'll say that this is a company that is not really going to wow you with share price appreciation. <laughs> <laughs> They've been within a pretty tight band over the last couple of years, uh, and you look at their PE. I mean, they're, they're at like a multiple of like fourteen right now. It yeah. kind of reinforces the idea that they are not a high growth company. Uh, but investors have gotten a nice four to five percent yield via dividends, and in a lot of ways, I think this company kind of models what I look for in a dividend payer and something that I can kind of set and forget. Well, they're almost like an air company. I mean, like we need air to breathe and basically like you either need Verizon or AT&T to live. I mean, that's your connection, right? Whether yeah. it's cable or wireless or whatever. I mean, Verizon seems to have um, a pretty good hold on on that market. No no question. And yeah, it's it's become an essential part of our life, yep. you know, which is uh, which is which is great if you're looking for a company that's going not going anywhere. <laughs> sure. Uh, to to kind of go back to that framework I talked about, the three things that I generally tend to look at, and you can agree or disagree here, Jason, is um, company that operates in an industry with high barriers to entry or just has a real stronghold that isn't going to be going away, um, has available growth avenues uh, so that they can continue to be growing the top line, continue to pay out, and then uh, maintains a sustainable payout ratio, and that's something that. Uh, allows for growth in the dividend, and also make sure that what you're currently being paid, uh, you will continue to be paid. Right? Yeah, I, I think those are all great. I mean, I love the the high barriers to entry. That's something I don't know that um, I, we probably don't talk about that trait at, enough as investors, um, because it it doesn't. It, it, I think a lot of times people just don't really think about uh, how tough is it to actually get in there and compete compete with someone but when you look at a market a market like that i mean barriers to entry can come in many forms they can be economic barriers they can be regulatory barriers they can be technology barriers um, and it seems like with Verizon they they probably have a little bit of all three of those right i mean it's going to cost a lot of money to build out that kind of an infrastructure you're going to have to get uh, permission to actually do it and and then really how are you going? You're going to go in there and build this awesome infrastructure, and then convince me to switch from Verizon to your to your service provider because now you think you're just better. You have to have at least a track record there. So, so to that point, I think that uh, that that that's the one for me. Where if you find a business with those kinds of barriers to entry, where they can really fire on all three, man, you've got something that probably is going to stand uh, for a long time to come. Yeah, the infrastructure intensive nature of that business just. Creates a really difficult environment to enter. Um, I mean, you look at other very recognizable names in the space. You know, Sprint, T-Mobile. Um, 
they have trouble stealing market share. Yeah, and and that's a, a well recognized name. You know, people know. Um, and the way that they have to do it is with heavy discounts, really intense promotions, and that's not necessarily something that's sustainable, right? Uh, you know, and that could play out eventually into that sustainable payout ratio, like like you were mentioning. So always a good thing to watch there because that payout ratio it it tells you uh, essentially what they're paying out versus what they're bringing in, and and if they're not bringing much in, they're going to have to be very careful of what they promise to pay out. And on a trailing twelve month basis, their payout ratio is around sixty five percent. Uh, it's a little bit higher than it was for 2015, which was about 50%, but still well below the 80% figure it hit in 2014. Right. Uh, so, so not a concerning level. Certainly a little bit higher uh, than it's been in the past. But um, some of that is due to uh, some of the strike issues that they hit early in the year. You know, they forecasted that um, 2016 really was going to look a lot like 2015 for them financially. Yep. And so, um, you know, as they've grown that dividend, it, it stands to reason that the payout ratio is going to be a little bit higher. Um, you know there there are some concerns with this business. I think to be aware of, uh, you know, postpaid additions, which is kind of a big thing to watch with them, uh, was up just four hundred and forty thousand uh, as net additions in the last quarter, which is a little bit below what they'd done the previous year, around one million, um, and it was also below what analysts were expecting. Um, I do think that you'll see that rise. A lot of people are expecting that to kind of get back on track with the holiday season coming up and new iPhones on shelves. So um, if you're looking for a risk with this business, that's one to be mindful of. But um, certainly a company that I've liked for a very long time, and and one that I think dividend investors should maybe keep on their list as a you know potential watch list. Yeah, and I think you really struck in on something important there. It's not something you're buying thinking that the stock price is going to double over five or even ten years. You're not even buying it really for that purpose. I mean, you're buying it for that reliable quarterly income. That uh, you know, I mean, this is a company that probably in a financial crisis is still going to be okay. And I think my my favorite stat about Verizon um, is. Their dividend was uninterrupted during yep. the financial crisis, uh, and in it fact, they grew it. And so, volumes uh, that just says you know the the type of business they have, how sticky it is for their consumers, and the fact that as a business they're not going anywhere. Yep. So, um, Jason, I know you have a name or two that you want to sure. talk about. Yeah. Um. I, and and I, you know, for me, I, I look at, at businesses like Verizon and AT and T and think they're great. Uh, great considerations, and and you sticking sort of in that tech world, and and a name that. Just a few short years ago, probably wouldn't have really been considered an income play or a dividend stock. But I think now, really, we have to look at it that way. At least as Apple, um, I mean, Apple has hit a point where it's it's such a big company, and you know, beyond the iPhone, they haven't really made I think the impact people have been hoping for these past few years. Now that's a product of a couple of different things, right? I think Steve Jobs was a very special person and obviously did a phenomenal thing in bringing that iPhone to market. Innovation is a lot more difficult. It's easier said than done, and and I think that Tim Cook, for example, has done a wonderful job as the CEO since Jobs passed away. Shareholders have certainly won. The stock price has doubled essentially since then. Uh, but but now, I think Tim Cook's uh, his his legacy is going to be more on the capital allocation side as opposed to the innovation side, and and I think that's the real opportunity for Apple, and I think that's the real opportunity for Apple shareholders as long as you're looking at this from the from the correct perspective, and it's not to say that the stock price can't and won't grow over the course of the next five and ten years, but I think the dividend is going to grow along with that. And at two percent yield today, I think they have nothing but time and in room to continue to raise that for years and years to come, uh, because I, I just don't see the smartphone necessarily being disrupted, at least in the near term. I mean, I think they're trying to come out with new products that potentially could be additive to it, like the watch and whatnot. 
but generally speaking, I mean, the the smartphone, whether it's an Apple product or a Google product or whatever, the smartphone has just changed the game for everybody. And so that's going to be a pretty reliable uh, driver for that business in the years to come, along with whatever else they may be able to bring to market. And, um, and, and you look at a business with a balance sheet like they have and the opportunities they have to sort of allocate that capital, I think they're going to continue to reward shareholders with the dividend. They're going to continue buying back shares, and that should help that share price a little bit down the road as it reduces those shares outstanding. And it, it's, it's a name that I think is going to be around for a while. And you look at the way that they sit within the smartphone market. Mm. They are not your average Android handset manufacturer. They have their own ecosystem. Yep. And, and so, we, we go back to the idea of something that's a barrier to other people coming in and grabbing your part of the market. That's it right there, right? You know, most of the people that are iPhone owners probably own Macs, maybe they own iPads. They love that compatibility across devices mm-hmm. and they're so used to that user interface. Uh, they become extremely loyal to it, and, absolutely. And I think that that's something that kind of insulates them from a lot of competitive pressure. Yeah, and I mean, I think generally speaking, and we go back to that barriers to entry uh, quality. It's probably not all that difficult for a company to get in there and offer some sort of a new smartphone. I mean, I think we see all sorts of. Um, I mean, interesting competitors. Google just hopped in with sure, the Pixel, right? Exactly. And I mean, I think Google. That's actually a very interesting point there with with Samsung's troubles. I think Google has an opportunity to really pick up a lot of share uh, from Samsung users. Probably, I think Apple is going to be a, a little bit protected by that because of the ecosystem, because of the operating system stuff that you had mentioned there. Um, and generally speaking, I think the longer that you use a given product like that iPhone, for example, and you're used to using it. There's a learning curve that comes with switching, and the older you get, you, you you're less likely to want to make that switch and and take the time to actually learn how to use something new. Uh, so, I mean, there are a plenty of plenty of barriers there. I think in the form of technology, economic barriers, and really convincing people that you actually have something better. I mean, there's a reason why Apple's iPhones are expensive because they're really good, and uh, and I, I don't I don't see that changing anytime soon. So I think the tech space is probably not best known for dividend payers. You no. know, we typically think of growth when we think tech. Um, you know, we just named uh, two companies, but is there anything outside the tech world that kind of catches your eye at this point? You know, I so I was looking at this because next week there's a a, a business that is going to announce uh, earnings. It, it to me so I, Home Depot to me is a fascinating business. It's it's one where you probably wouldn't think. Much into it. I mean, barriers to entry. No, it's a retailer. It's pretty easy to enter retail if you want. Uh, sure, there's some economic barriers to get to that scale. I mean, you can't just overnight open up a business with 2,300 stores around, uh, you know, the world. But you know what Home Depot has done, and I think to this point, and I foresee this in the future as well. This is one of the more Amazon-proof businesses I think out there. And so much of what we've talked about over the past five, ten years, really. In regard to Amazon, how quickly it's moved and how how it's disrupted this retail space and shaped it sort of as we move to e-commerce, Home Depot operates in a market where truly there is a lot of value in that physical presence. Most people really need to go to the store to kind of figure out what they want. They know maybe what they want in the sense that I need a, a you know some some fence posting or something like that, but I don't necessarily know exactly what style, size, type. Whatever, and so you have to kind of get to that store. Number one, to figure that out, and number two, probably to get some advice from someone who can actually give you an expert opinion on what to get and 
how to how to use it. <laughs> yeah, I think most of the purchases at a Home Depot or just your average hardware store in general sure. involve a lot more handholding. Yeah. I mean, I, I stained a desk that I was making the other day, and I had to ask three different people at the hardware store what type of stain I should be using and what type of finish I should be using on top of that stain. And that's not something I want to buy online. <laughs> nope, it's not. And and for the stuff that you feel like you can buy online, I mean, Home Depot's done a very good job of sort of leveraging that physical infrastructure in the form of all of those stores. They have a good, robust e-commerce business in the sense that you can order something online and go pick it up at the store. So if you know what you need, you can get it from them, and you can even have it shipped or whatever. But in most cases, and this is this is proven, uh, you know, time and time again. Home Depot does a very good job in driving traffic. I mean, this is a company where they're not going to be opening up a ton of new stores. And so, really, the growth is going to come from driving traffic to the stores, selling more stuff, potentially, you know, raising prices here and there, which I think they can get away with doing pretty well. Um, And then, ultimately, from a profitability standpoint, bringing that down to the bottom line. And they buy back shares at a pretty healthy clip, which has helped shareholders really immensely. The five year chart on the stock is incredible. The yield. Now it's it's maybe two a little bit more than two percent today, but again I think it's a relatively steady, protected business. It's proven to to be so. Um, so it probably a little bit of a higher higher risk in the form of a different uh, in, in a dividend world, but still I think one probably worth looking at. I did a show with David Kretzman. Um, I want to say about a month, maybe two months ago, and we were talking about uh, board members. And corporate governance, and how board members' incentives are set up yeah. for, across various companies, and he absolutely gushed about the way that Home Depot's board incentives were set up. I'm, I'm forgetting the specifics now, but uh, listeners, if you want to go back, you know it'll be somewhere in the archives from the last month or two. Um, so they seem like a kind of best in class uh, business, at least you know as top management goes as well. Yep, so. and and that's important because I think for people who Remember Home Depot from not all that long ago, the Nardelli years, where he kind of didn't really run that business so efficiently. And in, I mean, there was a time where where shareholders of Home Depot were thinking, "Wow, is this really the end? Should I be looking somewhere else?" Um, but Nardelli's no longer there. Obviously, management who who has a good vision, cares about shareholders, and they have the correct incentive packages, can really do powerful things. Well. Uh, that's the first half of the show. We're going to come back in the second half of the show talk about something that Jason and I disagree with a little bit when it comes to <laughs> dividends. Before we do, this episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. If you've ever bought a home, then you already know how frustrating and time-consuming getting a mortgage can be. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century by taking all the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get improved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do it all on your phone or tablet. So, if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, and mlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. So, Jason, I teased that <laughs> we have a little bit of a disagreement here on how we handle it. Um, it is not that we we don't like dividends. It's that we what we do with them sure. might be a little bit different. Um, so, if you're receiving dividends from a company, you have a choice, right? And and maybe it would be helpful to walk through an example. Um, so, say you're a Verizon shareholder. Come next January, you're going to get a fifty eight percent uh, fifty eight cent per share dividend through the company's quarterly dividend program. If you own ten shares, that's five dollars and seventy eight cents coming to you. Um, you can either enjoy that dividend as cash. Or you can decide you want to reinvest it uh, through a dividend reinvestment plan, or DRIP, as it's commonly known. Um, if you decide to DRIP the dividends, 
uh, you'll receive fractional shares of Verizon to the amount of the dividend you receive. So, say Verizon shares are trading at $47, you would have 0.123 shares given to you. Um, so, in the first scenario, you have 10 shares of Verizon, $5.78 in cash. In the second scenario, you have 10.123 shares of Verizon. Um, the important thing to note with all of this is either way, you're paying taxes on the dividends because mm-hmm. it's realized income. Um, I am someone that likes to drip my dividends. Uh, you are not. Do you want to explain why you choose not to? So I think primarily, um, I think primarily the reason why I don't. My portfolio today, at least, isn't geared towards many dividend holdings. I think when I'm looking at stocks right now, and it, and I, I tend to look at investing in in one of two ways. You're either at a point in your life where you're really focused on growing your wealth, or you're focused on protecting your wealth. Now there are all sorts of subdivisions within you know those those two classes, but I think generally speaking, right now, uh, my my holdings are a bit more geared towards the growth side, and typically those growth those growth companies don't pay dividends. Now I will say that I'm sort of copping out on this, but two of my holdings. I view as they kind of drip for me. They do the drip for me, and that's in Markel Insurance and Berkshire Hathaway. Now they don't pay dividends, so uh, what they do essentially is management saying, "Listen, we we feel like we can do more with the money rather than paying you a dividend." So I'm kind of letting them drip for me and reinvest in their businesses because they're proven capital allocators. They've done a pretty good job thus far, nice track records, and I'm going to hang on to those stocks for a long time to come. Um, but generally speaking, I think number one, I'm sort of the, my my stock holdings are a bit more geared towards growth, so the dividends aren't really there. And then I think it's also just a matter of of figuring out your entire um, investment picture beyond stocks. So what do you have beyond stocks? Is it is it real estate? Do you have four hundred one k IRA? Whatever you may have, look at everything in total, and um, then that can give you a better idea, sort of. If drip makes sense for you, if you feel like you've you've got something that works sort of in that same fashion in another in, you know in another asset, um, it, it just for me that's kind of that's kind of how it falls. I'm not anti-drip. I promise I'm not anti-drip. I think it's actually really really wonderful tool for a lot of people. And honestly, if I had some more dividend holdings, I'd probably throw some of those on that set it and forget it. Yeah, I'm someone that I think I'm pretty balanced in my growth and kind of income you know like I own Exxon I own Verizon uh, I have a couple other dividend players in there but it's really just you know the stability yeah. um, that, that I like a couple benefits that I see and just some things that people maybe should be mindful of um, with dripping dividends you're effectively getting commission free shares which is kind of nice so you know if you have an account below the threshold for free trading as I do um, you're paying seven dollars pretty much anytime you want to do anything unless you're using Robin Hood or something like that and so this is a way that you can continue to accumulate shares in a company that you like for free, basically, and not have to worry about those expenses. Um, there's also an element of kind of forced dollar cost averaging, which is something that I like. You know, your buys are coming in at predetermined quarterly intervals. You aren't gaining a meaningful amount of shares whenever you do anything like this, but they do compound every time. And I, I just kind of ran the math on this. Say you own 10 shares of a company with a yield around 4%. Uh, if you decide to drip those, you'll be sitting on around 20 shares 20 years later. Which, I mean, if you're a long-term buy-and-hold investor, is kind of nice, it's something to keep in mind. And that's really having done nothing else, and all of those shares are being bought in those small fractional ways where you're dollar-cost averaging. Um, I will say, 
if you need the money or if you feel like you might be aver- over allocating to income in your portfolio, then dripping really doesn't make sense. Um, you know, if, if you want to maintain that balance of growth and, and income and not get pushed too far one way. Um, I know that I use it as a way to force myself to stay invested in income stocks and not spend so much time chasing growth. Because well, that's a really good point you mentioned there, and I, and I think that's important because you're protecting yourself against yourself, kind of, right? I mean, one of the reasons, like I, you know, I don't have a lot of dividend holders, but but the ones that I do, I mean, I, I enjoy the fact that I can get a little extra cash in my portfolio, and then I can start thinking about maybe other stocks I want to buy. But that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to pick the right stock and buy the right stock. Okay, I could still screw that up. So I think that is really a very good point for investors. Drips and beyond is is finding ways, mechanisms that you can sort of protect yourself from yourself. And and the dollar cost averaging point you made, I think, is wonderful. And I. I think many of us use that in some capacity. I mean, we do that through our employer uh, retirement plan here. Um, I also have two daughters, and we opened up 529 plans for them when they were born. And we set it up so that it was just a small amount of money that just goes into their plans every month, regardless of what the market is doing. It's a set date, and it just boom, it just happens. And now they're 10 and 11, and I looked at their 529 statements the other day, and I was floored at how they had gotten to where they got. I mean, time is an unbelievably powerful force here, and I think for drips, it can be substantial. It's just patience, I don't think, really is anyone's strong suit, probably. And when we talk about investing, a lot of people want to get rich quick, and that's not how it works, really. Yeah, I think much like the 401k approach to investing, it's a set and forget, and like you're not even worrying about it, and then you look back two years later, you're like, whoa, yeah, what and just, I love what that, and it's and it's fantastic, yeah, and I have that in, here here with work, and so it's, yeah, I, I think again that's sort of taking your total picture into account, and and having a little bit of all of that, I think is is what every investor should really strive for. Yeah. So what you do with your dividends, I think, kind of comes down to how well you know yourself <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and how well you can manage yourself. Uh, well, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you just want to reach out and say hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. You can always tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out Fool's family of shows at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stock mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear. For Jason Moser, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on.